working means working with people. It's it's making things happen together with people. And really, you need to when when I say put a premium on relationships, it means putting a premium on people, making sure that you have good working relationships. You start from a place of respect, believing that respect is given, not earned. Like you need to respect people no matter their stature, what they bring to the table. You need to deal with them well, making sure that they do um, feel good about themselves because when they feel good about themselves, they feel good about their work. What is up, everybody? I'm Kat San, and you're back for another episode of She Ready. In this episode, we got to chat with a multi-hyphenate woman, which is always super exciting. And in our guest's previous life, she was a girl boss at Unilever for nine years, where she actually first started off as a management trainee. And today, she is the founding partner and president over at Sina Consultancy Group, whilst being an entrepreneur, a co-producer, and an amazing mom to her two boys. Let's welcome our second guest, the She Ready, Cheska Silvestre Cruz. Hey, Atacheska, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. You're welcome. Good morning. Good morning. And before we dive deep and learn more about you and your life, how have you been these past two years of, you know, staying at home and working at home? Honestly, it's great for moms to some extent because we get to spend more time with our kids instead of sitting through traffic. And then that also means that instead of being in traffic, you get to spend more time for yourself. So I've been cooking and becoming a plantita, even painting. So that's what's great about it. But at the same time, of course, you want or really um, crave for human connection. And Zoom has its limitations, right? So. I do miss like going out with my friends. Um, I do miss also uh, being able to meet other people, especially like my clients. Um, so there, but overall, uh, I think like the work from home setup works for me. Just, you know, not too much. Like, <laughs> not like completely work from home, I guess. I agree, and I'm really happy that you get to spend a lot more time with your kids at home despite handling multiple things all at once. And it's also cool that you mentioned that you enjoy cooking. So this one's a pretty fun question, but what's been your favorite quarantine food trend? Well, I've tried practically everything, like dalgona coffee, tried sushi bake, the works, tried cookies. So... But then I guess I, I don't do it like I'm not I'm a foodie. I enjoy eating. The cooking process, it relaxes me because my mind is black by my but my hands are busy. But then it's not like a passion. So it's a hobby. But so those are the things that I've tried out. That's awesome. So Atchaska, let's dive right into it. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. So, Atacheska, you are the definition of a girl boss growing up. Having been the president of UPJMA, the premier marketing organization at UP Diliman, you've done amazing work at a number of brands at Unilever. You are currently a co-producer for Team Kramer Studios. You are also Hunting Baby Works, one of your businesses, and you are one of the founders and the president of a marketing consultancy group that you've established. But before all the success, you were actually a swimmer in your past life. So could you tell me more about how you got into swimming as a kid? Yeah, so I started swimming. Well, of course, I think in grade school, we all had swimming lessons during the summer. And then come, I think I was in grade six. So indeed, summertime after maybe our third swimming lesson, um, the coaches said that they were forming a, a swimming club. So this was in La Salle Green Hills. So I was training with Coach Mark Joseph, bless his soul, and Coach Greg Palmenares. 
and um, when they said that they were going to start a girls swimming club and I think that was the time so grade 6 I learned butterfly and like was pretty confident about my progress that summer we we said yes so at that time like, my mom has always been supportive imagine from Miriam in Katipunan she would drive us all the way to Lasal Green Hills and Ortigas so I it was traffic was bad at that time but not as bad as you know the recent years so it, it, it took commitment um after school at that time I think we were only training three times a week MWF so MWF and Saturdays, we we trained uh, afternoons after school. We'd end up, uh, we'd leave LaSalle. So my sister and I would leave LaSalle 8 p.m. By the time we get home, eat dinner, catch up on schoolwork. So that was the time Friends was really popular, the TV series. We nev- I never got to watch an episode of Friends. And that's what like all my friends were talking about in school. But, you know, you there are trade-offs. Um, but overall, it was like an amazing experience because I learned um, so many things from being a swimmer and uh, mainly like athleticism. Um, I've sort of embraced to this day like making sure that I exercise teammates are like my friends for life so we do have a very active uh, Facebook messenger group even if we're scattered in different places all over the world we're really in touch so every week someone would message there and then of course like you relive memories you share like jokes and like have these um pet names for each other so it's amazing and our and our children whenever we get together they they play and like wear each other's ninangs and ninang. so pretty good memories oh my gosh i love that because that's something we talk about as well so for our listeners i'm in the same barcada as atachaska's cousin margo and we've all been best friends since we were a lot nene and younger and it's kind of both funny and amazing to realize how much we've all grown through the years as now, we talk about applying to internships, jobs, thinking about the future. And it's funny because we also joke about how in 10 years or so, we'll be each other's ninangs to our future kids. And it's crazy. The journey's beautiful, really. And having like, I think the main thing I loved about it is that when you have like shared experiences that go beyond just conversations, right? Like when you like, learn grow develop together get stronger together it's it's a different kind of shared experience that we have as athletes and teammates that's so true and i definitely agree so earlier you mentioned that you first started swimming at a club in la salle green hills and was there ever any particular moment wherein you realized that you genuinely enjoyed swimming and what if you took it to the next level to compete in college so even when, when we were in high school, LaSalle um, being part of the, like having CSB and DLSU, we would actually go to the UAAP and um, NCAA swim meets where, you know, both the high school and college teams would sort of like team up and we cheer for our teammates. So we didn't swim for LaSalle, the school, just the club. And then um, my sister and I, we represent Miriam uh, High School. So I guess the excitement of swim meets, knowing that you have friends there, um, cheering for people you know, and of course, like school spirit, really fueled my desire to swim competitively, even in college. But admittedly, knowing that I wasn't the best, you know, in the sport, I knew that there was a cap uh, as to my progress and even like achievements there. Knowing that I wanted to get into UP, I was, I I didn't try out for varsity um, scholarship. Uh, Thankfully, I passed. And um, was able to get into like uh, a course that I liked, and therefore varsity was like uh, nice to have for me. 
And true enough, um, when we were signing, like, I think it was, yeah, so I, I got to reconnect with swimmers that I had met from, you know, swim meets, and they were inviting me to join varsity. And at that time, um, we had to enlist for first year subjects, right? And there was PE. And then we wanted, there was this guy, so Tim Go, my friend, and and eventually became teammate. Tim Go and I, so we both passed UP. We both passed UPCAT, and therefore, we just wanted to get exempted from PE by taking this, like, test. So we were in the swimming pool, and then showing off to get exempted from PE class, showing off, like, showing off our swimming skills. And since the coaches were there, they said, why don't you swim for the varsity team? You know, we still have slots open um, and it's going to be fun. And then we said, why not? So indeed, Tim Go and I joined the varsity team and the rest is history. So there. Oh my gosh, that's a big plot twist. And I actually have a couple of friends who went on to swim competitively as well in college, but I'm not so sure as to how the usual day goes. So back then, how did a day in the life of College Cheska look like? Yeah, so we had training every afternoon at 4 o'clock. So I made sure that all my classes would run from 8.30 to 2.30, maximum 4. I'd lug around all my clothes. We didn't have lockers, only in the swimming pool. Weirdly, I never thought of bringing my stuff to the swimming pool in the morning before I go to my classes because the distance is quite far. So I go straight to class, bring like a big bag with all the stuff I needed for training and then go to training. So, and and usually if class finishes at 2 or 2.30, my friends and I, my teammates and I would even eat isao before training like 20 sticks imagine every single day and then train syrup na mang laris and oh my gosh i can definitely relate to bringing all your workout stuff all over campus and for all student athletes it's definitely challenging to manage both your academics and practice especially when it's uaap season and you have to miss class but you were definitely org active when you were in college so could you walk us through how you first got started with upjma so when I entered BA, that was the time when everyone, so my batchmates, were all applying to the orgs. And they just said, oh, Jamie's like the biggest and like super fun. So let's join. I thought, oh, people in Jamie seem pretty cool. And um, they were talking about their kids program which was a scholarship program for underprivileged students so there was cause for all these fundraising parties that we that they had so i decided okay jamie was gonna be it i also applied to isaac jamie sort of captured my heart that's amazing and i've always heard from my friends that upjma has a very collaborative and close-knit culture so could you tell me more about how your journey was like first starting out as a member up until you eventually became one of the leaders of UPJMA? What I loved about org work is that it's application. It's very important to discern what you are as a learner and even your motivation, um, where you get your sense of motivation. So the classroom setting I found was okay. So I was a diligent student. However, what really excited me and I guess um, I learned better like doing things, practical application. And therefore, when my mentor then, so the VP for externals, uh, that was his name is Job. And he's now my business partner. When I started learning about sponsorship marketing from Job, leading teams, organizing events, so project management. I, I really enjoyed it. I felt I was learning so much. Tangibly see the fruits of my labor. So when we get like positive feedback from brands or companies that we were soliciting to. That's really exciting. And I loved how you mentioned that since being heavily involved in orgs myself, it really does prepare you to lead teams, collaborate with different people in departments, 
manage projects, hit certain goals, and it's definitely an environment for me as well where I seem to learn a lot better. As you said, it's so heavy on application and execution. And in line with that, I feel like it's quite tough as well for student athletes to involve themselves in organizations as it's a lot to take on, especially with juggling all these commitments. But was there any particular moment when you were in college wherein you realized that you wanted to prioritize JMA over swimming? The difference with swimming, we only have two days of competition. So you train for the whole year for UAP, and then it boils down to just two days. And like me, I only had four events, and that's it. And those events, what, last a minute, a mi- or two minutes max, etc. So, So that was it. It came to a point in JMA, every semester, we needed to apply for projects that we wanted to lead. And um, of course, there were already different projects within JMA that I wanted to get involved in, that I wanted to lead or spearhead. And therefore, it made it easier for me to sort of plot or plan what I wanted to do for the next semester. And... After UAAP, I thought, okay, for the second semester, I could actually really focus on JMA. And aside from the project that you lead, you also are not just expected to, but you know, you want to support your friends with their respective projects. And it just so happened that you know, every week there was an event or there was a project happening. So, and you get exposed to all of these, and more and more you learn and get better get more involved so that was the natural shift i think that by the time third year first semester was um happening i already enlisted for a project that i wanted to lead i said i was still gonna train and join uap so third year first sem and indeed after uap that was it. I said, okay, um, I think I, I need to, I need and want to focus already on JMA. I could see how it was going to prepare me for work because um, the, the seniors or the graduating batch within JMA, I saw were starting to get like corporate jobs and, J- and they would share that, you know, their involvement in JMA helped so much in terms of training as well as building a network and understanding opportunities that are out there. I genuinely loved hearing about your growth in JMA and beyond training both your hard and soft skills in the different projects you were involved in, org work also really does give you a chance to see what sort of things you like doing and at the same time, things you don't enjoy working on too much, which I think definitely helps you narrow down what career path you want to take in the future. And for you, looking back now, how did your experience in JMA prepare you to land your first job at Unilever as a management trainee? The com- companies like Unilever, they were looking for leaders. And I think the leadership was one skill and experience that Jamie really um, developed in me. So I distinctly remember that after the paper screening, there was a group dynamic session wherein they put um, applicants from different schools. So I think we were a group of 10 in a conference room in Unilever. So in that group setting, we needed to decide who to give a heart transplant and we each needed to campaign for our own patient and at the same like build a case why i should get the heart transplant but at the same time you need to decide collectively as a group as to who gets the heart so what i learned about leadership that i applied to that group setting was it it wasn't about winning the conversation so it's not about getting the heart but really listening to everyone build their cases and even um, helping everyone reach a good decision. In fact, the best decision, making sure that no one gets left behind. Yeah, just making sure that you promote the interest 
aspects of the group and make sure that no one feels neglected. So uh, that I learned from Jamie. And then the succeeding interviews with managers and directors in Unilever really focused on how I was able to achieve things in college that involved that especially involved delivering results or getting to the outcome with the help of other people i think that's what's super important like with org work and even with with um with the sports like you as a team working towards a shared goal working together growing developing together helping each other out uh that's what work is about anyway like you can't do things on your own so employers really needed to see if you were a team player and if you could get the job done working with other people i really appreciate how you detailed out what to expect from the application process and you deliver and it's amazing how your success just continued on post-graduation as it sort of built it up on what you've done so far in college as a student athlete and as an organization leader and with management training programs gaining traction here in the philippines over the past few years and having been there yourself how would you describe the realities and the expectations of being in a Unilever management trainee program for your first job? So Unilever's management trainee program has been touted as one of the best in the country. And I do strongly believe that. During my time, the program was designed to expose us to the different functions of the company. So from accounting to supply chain to marketing, sales. And and at the same time, you get to spend more time in your core function or your function of choice or assignment. It allowed you to um, not just learn from people in the different functions and learn about how each function contributes to the whole business model. More importantly, as a management trainee, we were expected to deliver impact in every function that we were placed in. So I remember distinctly, my first job was in Unilever um, food supply chain. So every day I had to go to the Cavite factory of uh, Ladies' Choice mayonnaise. Uh, they asked me, so I was a business graduate, right? And they, the project given to me was, can you please help us determine how to get savings in the factory, particularly in the packaging line? And I was like, wow, how do I even get started, right? Again, I guess the key learning from that experience was, how do you eat an elephant? You need to chop it up or slice it into smaller pieces. So, of course, savings meant needing to understand costs. So I, w- I got really close and collaborated with a factory accountant, Miss Pressy. So see, I remember her name. And, you know, when you try to attack the problem or opportunity, it, it really has to start from a place of humility which meant asking questions. Um, What are all the cost components in the factory? And then being able, because actually I wanted to just get the cost components of the packaging line. But then, of course, Miss Pressy is busy. She just sends me all the cost components of the factory. That's where the work started. I needed to understand, okay, which one, I needed to assign the costs to packaging, to manpower, to um, processing, etc. And then at the same time, I needed to go to the factory and understand, seeing the extensive machinery, where the processing line ended and where the packaging line started. And it meant also talking to the factory workers. And, you know, I, I still remember their faces and their names. I was there for four months. And you realize that we have so much talented people. So these were guys in Cavite, um, graduates of technical schools. And they were really explaining to me 
um, how the machines work helped me figure out again the difference from the processing to the packaging operations. And, you know, they were helping me figure out my project. Like they were saying, oh, you know, in packaging, this portion or this segment is manually conducted. Like I think the the filling of the, I, I forget. But basically, yeah, they were helping me out. For as long as you enroll them into your vision and like share the objectives, the benefits to the factory and the company, and at the same time, like how it can make their job better. So it's very important to like really rally people and and um, again come from a place of humility, understand like what you can learn from them and not just think, oh, I'm so smart, I'm a management trainee, I'm here to make an impact. Like making an impact actually means connecting with people and learning from them. That's awesome. And especially coming from a business administration background to immediately having to dive deep into supply chain. It's awesome how you managed it. <laughs> Thank you. And, and you know, so after supply chain, I went to accounting. And, and there the impact I was asked to make was, okay, you need to help us build an Excel template that would compute for the incremental value of innovations, meaning new products of Unilever. And I was like, I don't even know how to use Excel. I mean, I just know the, I didn't know the formula, like the the extensive formula. So I was like, oh my gosh. And good thing I got grouped with two other management trainees, one of whom is one of my best friends to this day. And uh, so I was in food solutions supply chain. Uh, sorry, food solutions accounting. Another was in personal care, home personal care accounting, and then my other, and then my best friend was in foods accounting. And then we needed to figure out how to build this innovation template together. And so we we learned like we we weren't sent to training. We needed to be resourceful. It was like okay, you need to learn how to swim, and then they just threw us into the pool. And, you know, um, good thinking, our, yeah, my, my batchmate, J.D. Oy, he had a copy of Excel for Dummies. You know that yellow book from National Bookstore? And then yeah. he made me read it. He, he was like an Excel guru already, but then I wasn't. Of course, I wasn't going to be a freeloader. And therefore, he said, read this, Cheska. So, like we were working on it. And I distinctly remember the day before our presentation to the management committee, we stayed in the office until 6 a.m. And we took Oh turns. my gosh. Yeah, we took turns like sleeping for two hours and then we were back at our, you know, desktops. And then we went home at 6 a.m. because our presentation was at 10 a.m. We went home at 6 just to take a bath and dress up. And then we were back in the office by 9, presented at 10. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, I mean, sharing those two experiences, it was really about creating impact in every aspect of the business that you get placed in. Um, and not just learning about and learning from the organization and people in those different functions. So that's the beauty of the management training program. It's accelerated, definitely, meaning it was an 18 to 24-month program, and we needed to really demonstrate that we had what it takes to become a leader in Unilever, and we had what it takes to make things happen. I think my favorite insight from that would be how making an impact really goes beyond learning more about the organization and the people within these functions that you're assigned to. But it's really about providing value-adding contributions within all aspects of the business. And in line with that, I am genuinely so happy that you got to kind of paint me a picture as to what actually happens in a management trainee program as it's been something I've been looking into recently and maybe for our listeners as well as a lot of companies now are accepting applications for their management trainee programs. And earlier, you actually mentioned that it's a 18 to 24 month role, then you eventually become a leader at Unilever. So could you tell me a little bit more about how you transitioned from a trainee role into more of a managerial role? The transition for me was quite early. So it happened at 18 months. And every 
stage, we were evaluated, so we were graded. So I'm glad that and grateful that you know I was able to deliver and and perform and meet the expectations. And therefore, at the end of my program, we all needed to present to the board, like the Philippine Board of Directors, and share our journey and impact. What were your stance? What were you able to accomplish? And then what did you learn for yourself? And I distinctly remember that to make my presentation memorable and also fun, I framed everything under the theme MTV Pimp My Ride. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, so I was the ride that was pimped and I shared like, you know, from supply chain, accounting, this is what I did. And then for sales, I actually, that was another interesting thing. I was sent to Tarlac to manage a distributor, a distributor that sold to supermarkets in Tarlac, to sari-sari stores in Tarlac, public markets in Tarlac. So that was another great experience. And then trade marketing, I handled hair care. Um, I moved to the Innovation Center of Deodorants for Asia. So do you know that the so the Philippines actually exports deodorants to the world? So Axtric, Sona, and Dove. So I was there um, doing market research. And then I also did handle Axe Asia. The conversation was with HR and my previous line managers as to what were the openings in the company and where do you want to specialize in so and it was interesting because I was a marketing management trainee I knew I wanted to be in marketing there was an opening in marketing but then my boss who was also UPJMA former president so his name is Francis Flores he told me you know marketeers the best marketeers truly should have an experience in sales and therefore I'm telling you that if you wish to build a career in marketing, get your sales experience out of the way. Do it while you're young. Um, do it early in your career. So instead of going, instead of joining his team, as I wanted to do right after my management training program, I went back to sales and did trade marketing for I think two years. So that I could really learn from being on the ground, learn about operations, learn about tactics, knowing the shopper who is entirely different from the consumer. And, you know, it really helped me a lot in hindsight. It was really exciting, the big project I had or my job uh, when I moved to trade marketing, which was part of sales, was to launch clear anti-dandruff shampoo. It helped me like operationalize because the marketing work I did as a management trainee was on innovations. It was launching new products for Unilever. And here we were in marketing. It was really about developing packaging together with R&D and an agency, like a design agency. What's the formulation? What's the price point? Um, what's the proposition? And then developing communications like TV ads, etc., posters or key visuals, as we call them. In sales, the innovations come as a package, meaning these are the visuals you can use. This is the strategy. This is the price. Execute it. So it sort of rounded my experience and helped me ground strategy and plans into actual execution. Um, it, the, it allowed me to work, collaborate with the sales teams handling different accounts. So there would be people handling restants, people handling SM, people handling Sari Sari store distributors, and people, say, handling, um, what else, drugstores. So it meant like connecting with all these people and planning with granularity how we were going to launch Clear. It's actually really cool to hear from your line manager that the best marketer should have experience in sales. And I think that's going to be one of my biggest takeaways from this chat so far as it really places a big emphasis on continuously learning and being well-rounded as a professional. And given all your success and experience with working on multiple Unilever brands with such different product focuses, so 
um, deodorant, hair care to name a few. Was there ever any mistake in the past that has taught you the most about yourself? Thankfully, I haven't made like big career mistakes that cost the company money. I mean, at the end of the day, mistakes um, meant like monetary losses. So none of that kind. But, you know, one thing that I learned from over that, that I learned over the years is you really need to put a premium on relationships. Meaning you need to be a good person. You need to protect your good heart. I know that we're all blessed with good hearts. We should never lose that for the sake of achieving or getting results. I admit that over the years, because there are tremendous pressure and expectations placed on us as workers, and at the end of the day, we know that we need to deliver. Otherwise, you can get fired. I mean, there's always the risk of getting fired or not getting a good rating or not getting a bonus, in fact. So there are annual bonuses. So we're all driven to achieve and deliver results. But at the end of the day, and again, as I shared earlier, working means working with people. It's it's making things happen together with people. And Really, you need to, when, when I say put a premium on relationships, it means putting a premium on people, making sure that you have good working relationships, you start from a place of respect, believing that respect is given, not earned, like you need to respect people no matter their stature, what they bring to the table, you need to deal with them well, making sure that they do um, feel good about themselves because when they feel good about themselves they feel good about their work you know i learned like i only only recently i realized that there was one flaw in the unilever culture that i grew up in people were seen as clever if they could find or poke holes into another person's plans or presentations meaning if you wear that critical hat and have a critical eye and you're able to judge, oh, this can be better. And and in plenary, where there are a lot of people, you voice out your opinion on how it can be better, what's wrong with it. During my time, I realized those people were lauded. But then in hindsight, I don't think that's right. In fact, one lesson that you know we were constantly told in Unilever, but I realized wasn't practiced as much was Praise in public, criticize in private. So those things, like just make sure that, you know, you don't make people feel bad. Of course, it's unavoidable, especially when there are difficult conversations. But there's always a right way of delivering the message. Um, Don't attack people. Attack the problem if there is a problem. Always be collaborative. Work towards solutions. So there, um, I guess... The key lesson is like collaborating well with people, treating others with respect, making sure that, you know, you're going towards a shared goal and no one gets left behind. And, you know, ask people, how can I help? Actually, it's really interesting that you brought this up since it's a common topic. I seem to find it in turn forums. So um, there's this website called intern.ph and it's sort of like a glass door, but for internships. And they say that marketing and sales in FMCG could get quite toxic or quite hectic. And what would you say about that, given what you've mentioned earlier about what you didn't like with the Unilever culture you've grown up with, wherein people were lauded if they could poke holes in your plans and presentations in public? And did that sort of behavior contribute to what people were referring to as toxic or hectic? So two things. (laughs) And I'm saying this now as an adult. You know, the, the to- toxicity, um, I think, will depend on how you deal with things. And really, I'm saying this because I've experienced getting consumed by the toxicity and spreading the toxicity myself. God said that life will not be easy. And 
if most of our life we spend working anyway, like what, 8 to 10 hours a day, it means that work is not going to be easy. If life is not going to be easy, it's probably because work is not easy. So what makes work toxic? Toxic relationships, toxic people. And how do you deal with that? I think the best way to do it is, number one, to not let it get to you. And when, when I say not let it get to you, when someone's being toxic, don't absorb it. And in fact, if you can, buffer it. And you know what I learned over the years? Really, I've become so prayerful because life is so hard. And, and sometimes it's really just divine intervention. It's, it's God that will help us pull through. Nothing that friends or family say at some point can, you know, sort of comfort us. And therefore, I realized when you're getting so much toxicity from a person, I, I love how the illustration that I learned from one of the retreats that my husband and I joined. Remember the sign of the cross. Pag wala ka nang ibibigay anything good to the person, remember the sign of the cross. Hugot sa taas, pasa sa kaliwa or pasa sa kanan. Diba? If you're being bombarded with bad vibes and toxicity, get good vibes from God. Pass it. And really, it's as simple as when I pray, Hail Mary full of grace. Grace, grace, grace. Okay, grace, grace. So that you don't respond negatively too. Another source of toxicity can be like difficult projects or difficult, yeah, difficult work, like the nature of it. But then again, as I mentioned earlier, how do you eat an elephant? You cut it up into small pieces. If the problem is so big, then start with details that can point you to the right direction. So, and there was a time um, I took a job that nobody wanted, which was to turn around funds. Funds at that time was declining for four years. And the time, the year that I inherited it, it was declining by 25%. So imagine from a 2.4 billion peso brand, it was down to 2 billion pesos. And that's huge, like losing 400 million pesos, right? And people had tried to turn around bonds, like solve it, fix it. And like it took us rigor and understanding as to how to attack it. Like it meant going back down to the consumers. So people who were using the brand, that's how we you know, sort of ate this elephant. Let's start with the consumers, the users. Let's talk to people who are still using funds. Why do you love it? So that we understand what works or what had worked before. And then let's talk to people who are lapsers, meaning they used to um, be loyal to funds and then suddenly they've stopped using it. So we, we started there and tried to understand. And then we married the insights that we got with the numbers. Indeed, facial wash was, was declining as a business because when we talked to facial wash lapsers, they said, oh, we're now using this papaya soap because the papaya soap is for the whole body. So pantay yung kulay ng mukha ko sa leeg ko at sa katawan ko. Eh, yung facial wash na whitening, mukha lang yung puputi plus mas mahal pa. So parang you see, that's how we, you know facial wash is declining and you try to think, why is this declining? Oh, it's declining in supermarkets. Oh, it's declining in sari-sari stores. Oh, it's declining in Luzon. Besides Mindanao, everywhere. Where do I start? So we, we, we thought, okay, this, the first small piece that we need to figure out is the consumer. What's wrong, diba? So, Oh my gosh, that's a crazy story of how you took on bonds and it's amazing to see your persistence, your dedication, your patience even to be able to turn it around, which is super inspiring. And given that you've had multiple stints in Unilever and you were with the company for almost 10 years, was there any particular moment wherein you realized that it was time for you to move on and time for you to do your own thing? So within marketing, so whenever you get into a field, there are specializations, right? So within marketing, there were specializations. I knew that my specialization was always in brand development and strategy. So I spent like years doing innovations for deodorants Asia. 
And even when I was in a marketing operations role, such as Pons, such as Clear, I was the type to always go back to what is the rational and thought process behind this that um, we needed to do. So that was my DNA. And I remember in Feb 2014, my boss, uh, Gina Lorenzana, asked me what was my next move. So in Unilever, it's fast. Like our stints last, what, two, three years max. And then you move to a different job. So it's for accelerated growth also. And she was she was right to point out that, you know, you know that you want to build on build your career on strategy and design now you working on bonds you're in a in an operations role how do you like it and then i did realize that you know i i enjoyed the glitz and glamour of like being in press conferences and like pr events and like developing ads um working with the sales team like i love collaborating with people but i needed to go back to like my area of expertise that I wanted to pursue like um, more sustainably. Unfortunately, there was no role for that in the Philippines. Like the Innovation Center for Deodorants, the marketing teams moved to Singapore. And therefore, at that time, the question was, do you move to Singapore or Shanghai, where the Ponds global team sits. Um, and I knew that I wanted to stay in Manila. Um, I had lived in Thailand for a year, so handling Rexona, Thailand. And it was like a really nice opportunity. But I think I was, what, 30 years old at this time? Um, sorry, 30. Yeah, 30 in Feb 2014, and I knew that I wanted to start a family. I was single, but I knew I wanted to start a family, and I knew that I wanted to marry Pinoy. And therefore, I said, oh, I want to stay in the Philippines. And and then she said, oh, but there are Pinoys in Singapore. And like, yeah, yeah, but I think I need to be here. And she respected that. Um, and, you know, uh, there was an opportunity to move to sales. But then, um, and again, Gina reminded me, and this was to get a promotion because I did great work in bonds. So we both knew that we, I wanted to be in marketing, doing strategy and planning work. So when there was a reorg globally, I got an early retirement package. So I availed of it. And... Because honestly, after Unilever, I, I thought I was going to be in Unilever for life, but you don't, parang people were saying, uh, you don't refuse this early retirement package, right? So I, I took it, but not knowing where I wanted to go. So I did interview with several companies, um, but then none of those really panned out. And then my, my grade school friend's ate, um, her name is Michelle Fontelera, who owns Zenzest. We caught up in the baptism of my friend's child. And she's like, hey, can you consult for me? I want to um, create this new um, cologne brand for Team Kramer because they approached me. Can you create the branding? Et cetera. And I'm like, okay. So I thought, okay, I'll do consulting for six months. And anyway, the, the fees that uh, we negotiated was equivalent to the salary I was getting in Unilever. So I said, okay. And then after a month, Heart Evangelista, whom I used to work with when she was my Pond's endorser, also reached out to fix her branding because at that time she was having this um, PR issues with, uh, I forget, this forgettable blogger was attacking her, like really attacking her character. And, you know, she was estranged from, from her mom at that time. And she's Escudero was, I think, running for Senate again. And therefore, we worked on her. So with, with Zen Zest and Heart as my two clients, I said, okay, I'll do consulting for six months. And then, you know, once I put myself out there, more people started reaching out. 
to the point that I realized, okay, I cannot handle all of this by myself, especially because I had planned a vacation to the U.S. in November. So good thing I had a friend who just came back from the U.S., relocated to Manila, and um, I invite, and she was my friend from college in JMA. Yeah, and they said, okay, Bren, and she's still with Sinag now. I said, Bren, can you help out? Like, while I'm in the States, do you want to handle these projects? And she's like, yeah. And then by December, we bumped into Eman De La Cruz, who's one of my partners now. He was also a UPJMA president. He was the president when I joined UPJMA. And he said, he was he had been working in PNG for, what, 13 years? And said that, you know, I'm leaving PNG. I, I don't know what I want to do next, but I've always wanted to do consulting. And mentioned that he had been talking to E.R. Rolian, another UPJMA president, the one after me, who's his roommate in Singapore for the longest time. You know, E.R. and I, uh, we've always said that we want to do consulting back in Manila. So they're both be- they were both based in Singapore, both in PNG. And therefore, I said, okay, great, let's do it. So by January, we started incorporating. It was that fast. It's super cool to see how your journey has evolved through the years. And everything sort of just ties back to what you said about how building and maintaining relationships is key. As how Scenic started was sort of a combination of friends of yours who first started getting you as a consultant and eventually your UPJMA friends who eventually became your business partners in Scenic. And in line with that, Scenic is a growth navigation company. And would you tell us a little bit about what it means to design purposeful brands and content? So what we mean by purposeful brands, the first step is really making sure that you are solving or addressing a need uh, in the lives of people. So that's how you become purposeful. So what does it mean? So one of the brands that we for launched in Sinag is Coco Mama Fresh Gata. So it's by Century Pacific. And you can always just say, oh, we'll launch this packaged gata brand and um, we'll price it at this um will price it at 29 pesos etc make it like really affordable etc and then tell people that hey buy this 29 pesos fresh gata you don't need to go to the market anymore but if you just go by that messaging it it sort of lands flat right brands need to connect to deeper human truths ideally they need to resonate with a particular um profile of consumers so that you know the more alike you are in terms of personality with a person the more you connect right so for coco mama we thought we we studied um home cooks and we determined that you know what are the struggle you know the struggles of today's home cooks would be juggling everything like they are we coined the term for Coco Mama. They are multi-hyphenate madiscarte moms. What does that mean? So let's break it down. So yes, they are moms. They need to take care of the household. They need to take care of the family. And in most cases, today, they are also working. And that and that being said, they are multi-hyphenates. Like Cheska mom, Cheska business owner, Cheska wife, Cheska sister, Cheska cook, right? So they are multi-hyphenates, but they are, and how do they cope? They're madiscarte by nature. They subscribe to hacks. They love watching these hack videos on YouTube, on Facebook, like 10 ways to whatever, like, and find these like recipes. They're not, so there are a breed of moms who will go like, all out in the sense na everything from scratch. Okay, when I make sinigang, I want to, you know, grind the tamarind myself because it's my labor of love. I want it super fresh. And, you know, props to those moms. Nothing's wrong with that, right? But at the same time, nothing's wrong also 
about when it comes nothing's wrong with moms who would wish to subscribe to more convenient products, meaning sinigang mix, pre-ground, already seasoned uh, to ha- to achieve the perfect taste. And therefore, you just open the sachet, dump it into the pot with water and the meat, and there, voila, yummy sinigang. As if made from syrup. That tastes like, tastes as if it was made from scratch. So for Coco Mama, we said, you know, these madiscarte moms, because they are time-starved and they need to do so many things well, let's help them um, cook dishes with gata, which their family loves. Parang, because nga gata is not cooked as often, parang it's special, plus because it's creamy, the gata dishes are creamy, parang, um, they they elicit really good responses from their family. Parang, wow, sarap, gata. But then it meant moms having to go to the public market and waiting for it to get kayod and piga. And then they need to cook it within two hours because it'll spoil. And you know, lalo na in households where they don't have... They're still um, lower-income households that don't have refrigerators. And therefore, you can't stock gata. You need to cook it right away. What if you need to wash clothes or like pick up your kids from school if they're half day lang in a public school? How do you manage all of that, right? So we needed like shelf-stable, fresh gata that tastes like the real thing. So we said that, and that was the purpose of the brand. Help madiscarte multi-hyphenate moms cook gata dishes that their family will love and that will help their family um, eat more nutritious food that's delicious uh, and still allowing her to do everything that she needs to do well. So fundamentally, that's what purposeful brands are about. I love how you treat purposeful brands and content as your North Star in Sinag and as a marketer. And as someone interested in UX as well on top of marketing, it's really about diving deep, understanding, and focusing on the consumer as you want to ensure that this product of yours addresses a need in their lives. And as you mentioned, it should ideally resonate with a particular profile of your consumer so that the more alike you are with them, the more you'll connect. And overall, Anacheska, I've had so much fun with with our conversation. And as we wrap up, You've definitely been a very successful woman ever since you were younger. However, throughout your career, were there ever any insecurities that you felt were holding you back from being your best self? Yes, definitely. A lot of insecurities growing up. And you know, it all, having attended um, a leadership workshop and also retreats, I discovered that I attached my sense of worth and my sense of being loved to what I could do. And that's why I strive to achieve because I felt that if I kept on achieving, then people will like me and love me. So I, and that stemmed from the feeling or the insecurity that I, I don't feel loved or I'm, I'm unloved. I'm not lovable as I am. So it was a three-year process for me at what? Thir- that started at 35 years old. Um, I, I needed to realize and believe that I am lovable not because of what I can do, not because of what I bring to the table and what I've done, but because I'm Cheska and I am God's beloved. So that, um, so it's still like, I still need to constantly remind myself that, you know, you should do things not because people will, not for others in the sense that, I mean, it's, sorry. When you do things, at the end of the day, you need to pursue and do things that will allow you to realize God's purpose for you. 
And why do I talk about God's purpose? If you try to fit a mold, say, of the world, like this, and the mold of the world that is appealing to me is this successful, famous businesswoman and entrepreneur. But then you know what? I get, I realized over the years, I'm so tired. I'm so tired and and yet I feel like what I'm doing is still not getting me to that place of, of esteem and admiration. And at the end of the day, now that I'm a mom and you know, this pandemic, what this pandemic has made me realize is the connections that matter are here at home. And you know, at the end of the day, I want to raise my sons to be like really um, good individuals. I want them to feel loved and that means loving them and therefore believing that I am working on the sense of working on self-love and making sure that I am secure, that I am loved. And this knowledge of being loved and appreciated shouldn't stem from anything that you do. You just have to know that if you can't get it from people, like no person can love you perfectly. Not my husband, not my children, not my parents. Like the, the perfect love that I've been searching for my whole life, the, the perfect validation I've been searching for my whole life, only God can give. And it's knowing that that makes a difference. Knowing that makes a difference. Like I don't need to, like you know, do acrobatics, become multi-hyphenate, like really doing all of these things, owning multiple businesses. At the end of the day, that's though they're all like burdens on your back. I mean, you carry all of these with you. And we're not designed to carry such load by ourselves, right? And therefore, I guess at the end of the day, it's knowing that you are not your achievements. You are loved just the way you are. You don't need to use achievements to feel love. All you need to do is to connect to the source of love. You know what I mean? And, and realize that he has placed people and things in our life that can give us pieces of his perfect love but to expect people and things in our life to give us the perfect love that we've been seeking or that we seek or it's just not wise and unrealistic so there i definitely resonate with what you mentioned and i think for me at least these are things that i've been really intentional with trying to work on with myself as I always try to talk to myself and tell myself that I am not the things that I do. And these are two separate things. And I love how you mentioned to go to go out there, to go pursue and do things that will allow you to realize and see God's purpose for you. And that's really powerful. And overall, oh my gosh, Atachaska, I really enjoyed our conversation today. It's given me so much clarity. It's shed a lot of light. And I wish we can keep chatting about these, but maybe this can be my last question. So you are a mom to two cute sons. You are an entrepreneur. You are a boss lady. You also do a lot of different things on the side. And I'm excited to know, no pressure, what's next in store for you? And what's your vision like for your future self? Oh, my goodness. That's the killer question that I've been trying to figure out since October of last year. You know how this pandemic has created this sense of languishing. That was the word coined, or not coined, but like that the New York Times surfaced just last week, I believe. So to be quite honest, this is the first time in my life, and I told my, I've been telling my husband this, this is the first time in my life that I do not know what I want to do next. Like, really, I'm stumped. And it has caused an achiever like me so much distress, even sleepless nights, because I'm a planner, I'm a, I'm, I do strategy, and suddenly I have none. 
for myself. One of the problems that I'm struggling with when it comes to adulting is not having an authority figure to tell you or a boss to tell you, this is what you need to do. This is where you want to go, etc. And you need to figure it out yourself. And that's why my faith has been deepened this pandemic because it's this search for authority. Like I really, I've been asking God to just lead me. Like tell me where you want me to go. Take away or prune me. Like take away the things that you want me to stop doing and that will not contribute to the plan that you have for me. Just lay down the steps that you want me to take. And that kind of trust and obedience. And I've always been a rebel, meaning tell me to do this, I will do the opposite because I've always been the type to march to the beat of my own drum. I mean, right? That's a popular and really aspirational thought, right? But you know, now that I'm 37 years old, I'm so tired. I mean, having done so many things, and I really just want to enjoy life. I'm, I'm so far from retirement age, and I'm so tired. And I just want to be taken care of. I realize, so my friends and I have been talking, it's okay to not know and not figure everything out right away. It's okay, in fact, to even change careers and shift paths. But you need to have a compass. And if there are no perfect compasses that can point you to the true north, please, please nurture your faith. Like connect to God. Believe that there is a master designer in this world that you can rely on for guidance and for direction. Um, for those who don't believe, parang the very enlightening lesson I learned is that, or enlightening um, parallelism um, I encountered is that, you know, when you hear a really beautiful song, you can't help but ask, who composed this song, right? So again, seeing the, opportunity, the beauty of the world, you can't help but really ponder, there must be a designer, right? So to me, that argument really proves that there is a God. And let's get to know this God because, again, once adulting sets in and um, the people in our life may not necessarily answer the, all the questions that we have or point us to the right directions that we need to take. We need to subscribe to someone who can really, I don't know, who's all-knowing and like wise and like at least someone whom you know, if you make a bad decision, can help you correct it, right? So I guess that's the... That's my parting message. Um, I don't know. I also can't wait what, you know, God has in store for me and what he makes out of the situation I'm in now. So, and it's okay. I wasn't okay a couple of months ago, but then now I realize it's okay. I, I just have to be. Big, big thank you for listening to our episode with Cheska. And don't forget to follow She Ready on Instagram at She Ready the Podcast. And feel free to tag me with your favorite insights or things you've just loved about this episode. Once again, I'm Kat San, and see you next week for another episode drop. Mm-hmm.